Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jamie Kennedy still may be best known for playing Randy Meeks in the big screen Scream franchise, but Kennedy has enjoyed a wild and varied acting career since he broke out of background work in the late 1980s. His credits include Romeo and Juliet, Bowfinger, Enemy of the State, As Good As It Gets, Three Kings, and his own vehicle, Malibu's Most Wanted. On the small screen, he recurred on both the drama Ghost Whisperer and the animated tune The Cleveland Show, but he created and starred in his own sketch reality show for the WB, The Jamie Kennedy Experiment. Kennedy celebrated turning 50 in May by releasing his newest stand-up special, Stupid Smart, via Tubi. You also can see him this summer on Pluto TV, hosting the latest season of Comedy Dynamics' stand-up showcase series, Coming to the Stage. I spoke with Kennedy in June, so some circumstances regarding the COVID-19 pandemic and nationwide protests may have changed since then, but the facts of Kennedy's career remain the same. So let's get to it! So, Jamie Kennedy, last things first. Uh, the last time most of us saw you on screen, you were up on your roof for that Feeding America <laughs> benefit. Um, oh, you saw that? Yeah. So, I would imagine that being on the roof is probably the safest place to be right now, whether it's the pandemic or the protests. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it will be, too. Uh, I, I was out there actually a little... Um, yesterday, and it was very peaceful, actually, the, the, the protest here in L.A. Um, but, yeah, I think, the roof, I think the roof is a good call right now at the moment. <laughs> Had you been using the, the roof for uh, some reflection or private time before, before making that video for the benefit, or was that just a one-time only? Um... You know, I go up there because it's easy to get on. You know, I shouldn't say that to people, but so I, uh, I go up there because I can really survey the whole neighborhood. You know, so uh, I, I like it, and um, and uh, I don't know. It's always just been there, and and it is a good peaceful time. I'm not too far from Griffith Park, so oh, I nice. enjoy it. Yeah, it took me back to my childhood. I loved Gil going on my parents' roof when I was a kid and just hanging out up there. Where did you grow up? I grew up in, uh, in a small town in Connecticut. Hardcore, man. Hartford? Uh, uh, yeah, about a half hour outside of Hartford. So probably a little bit more rural than, than Upper Darby. Yeah. <laughs> UD in the house, man. UD. Yeah. UD, uh, you did your research. Yeah, you, uh, you are uh, officially 50. Hey. But also, yeah, also, man. But also, a I did not know this until I looked this up. You're also a exactly one week younger than Upper Darby native Tina Fey. I am. Yeah, she she was born May 18th and grew up in Upper Darby. But you guys went to different schools, so I take you didn't you didn't know her as a kid, or did you? She a Gemini too, or Taurus? Uh, May 18th, that would probably be Taurus. You know what's crazy? I don't know Tina at all. Isn't that nuts? And and she grew up a week after me. 
and probably a mile from me. Yeah. And um, I think she went to the girls' school, or maybe she went to the actual high school, and I went to the boys' private school. I'm not sure, but she's. Um, it's crazy that we're from the same hood, and I never really, I never knew her at all. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that uh, your publicist set this up for us was because you're hosting um, the showcase series called "Coming to the Stage." Yeah, that, com- that comedy dynamics has been doing. Where mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out where and how was that filmed? It doesn't look like a club that I recognize. Well, that's crazy that you would think you would know every club, but you might. You might be that guy. <laughs> um, but you're correct because that's why it, it is not. It is a self-made club. It's the studio. If you really want the truth, I'm going to tell it to you. It's not even the studio. It's <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna get mad. It's, it's the commissary of the production company in Burbank. Yes. So what they do is they clean out the commissary and they turn it into a stage and they put a stage up and they put chairs and they make uh-huh. it look a lot bigger than it is and they bring in an audience and bam, we knock out three seasons in a weekend. That's amazing. It it does and, it does explain that one that one video sketch where uh, the limo picks you up because the limo drops you off there at their offices. So yeah, that's so that's, that's legitly where we're at, and um, <laughs> and uh, you know, no Spencer spared over there. No, they, uh, <laughs> they shout it, out to Brian Place. Shout out to yeah. BVW. What up, what up B? Um, but but you would never know. I just told it. I just. <laughs> Cats out of the bag there, but yeah, we we it's a homemade theater. Well, although that would make it that would make it probably an ideal place for reopening live comedy because it's not a traditional comedy club. So, yeah, I mean that would be actually they could start holding their own stuff. I mean I think that's what that's what I would do. Like I would go to a city and quarantine for a little bit, and mm-hmm. I think city should have like you know the weak comic right. You go there. You, you you feel you've been quarantined and you, and you do like a run. Comics could do like a little residency in each club. Yeah, I mean this is you know the 2020 is so wild for more reasons this week than it was a couple weeks ago. But one of the things as someone who follows the comedy business, it's it's been pretty surreal to see. Like I live in New York, and so all the people here in New York are grappling with the idea that live comedy might not come back for a year, but then you have these comedy clubs in the middle of the country that have already reopened. And it's, it's, it's hard to determine like what's the right path forward or. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I was in New York on the 13th March. Literally I was having a steak at red eye steak. I did a show at the stand that night and, um, Literally, they announced the NBA is canceled in the middle of my meal. I was like, whoa. And uh, it was pretty dead. But I was around a lot of people that night, shaking hands, kissing babies and whatnot. And uh, and I thought, oh, this is, I don't know. And, but the, the virus wasn't as scary then. Then I flew home on a pretty packed jet. Then I was good. I was quarantined for a while. I was a little freaked out. And then I've done different things, like going to the supermarket or CVS and then 
you know, and then yesterday I was protected, you know, and it's hot. It's really hot in LA and hopefully that's good for the virus. And I was at, I was at that protest in Hollywood and it's very peaceful. And, uh, and, um, you know, but it'd be interesting to see. There's a lot of people out there. They all, pretty much all seem like to be covered up. So I think this will be a real test. But New York is such a condensed place, and LA now is getting condensed because people are out together. And um, for myself, I think it's all about little barriers. You know, like my birthday, I, I had a couple people over. I would I hadn't done that in eight weeks. I was a little scared, but everybody practiced. And you know, yesterday it was a lot of people on the streets. You know, I was. You know, I practiced some distancing. But there wasn't a lot of that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But, yeah. you know, people, other other cities like Texas and stuff, don't. I don't know if they're doing that. Maybe, maybe they don't have been hit with the cases as much. So I think everybody has their own system. But New York is, you know, so compact. Yeah. Um, let's get out of 2020 for a second and go back to when you were younger. You know, because you're hosting this this show, Coming to the Stage, with these upstarts, who many of whom are their first TV credits. And I'm curious to know, like, who was, who was there for you when you were first coming up and bringing you to the stage? Great question, bro. Uh, I was, didn't really have much material, you know. I, um, you know, I only had about five or eight minutes, you know. That's what you worked on to get that, to get a couple of TV credits, like a lot of people are getting now. And then from there, you get noticed. It was a different time, and then... And that's kind of what happened to me. And then I started getting auditions and then acting roles and boom, boom, boom. And then when I started really getting a name in like 98, I started playing like colleges and such. I needed time. You know, I only had like 12, 12 minutes. And so my agent would book me on these lunchtime shows and 15 minute shows. And uh, she's like, you're going to go out on the road. You're going to do these these B rooms, you know, this is how you're going to do it. You're going to bring an opener and you're going to do half the time and let the other people do it. And, and then she started booking me with really good other comics doing stuff. So like Rick Overton, he let me open for him. Craig Shoemaker, he let me open for him. Bob Saget, he let me open for him. Um, and, and different people like that, you know, I was able to go out and, take my 10 minutes and make it into 15. Gary Valentine, Kevin, who's, who's Kevin James' brother, he's a great right. comic. So I, I, would, I started middling a lot, even though I had a name. And that was a way for me to build up from there. So that, that and the clubs were patient with me. How, so how much, that was nice. How much harder is it when you're starting out, the stand-up part when you're starting out, but you're already well-known from being in, the, in, a, in a hit movie? But you don't have that much time. Well, I mean, I was I was always doing stand up from the get go. But literally, I went from nothing, 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 open mics to a, a spot here and a spot there. To one, you know, to once I started getting my credits, I was off to the races, and then I was focusing on that for a while, for a few years, and I really didn't do stand up. I was over stand up for about three years, probably until about ninety eight. And then I was like, I'm going to really start doing this again. 97-ish. Um, it was a great opportunity because I had, it was so unbalanced. I had, I didn't have the opportunity at all. So I had the ability to do more than three minutes and I was only getting three minutes a night at open mics every night. I never got showcased in a club then, or a little bit at a club. And then I had the ability to headline 
after three years and I still only had eight minutes. So I had to work up to it. So, yeah. So I was like, I had too much, not enough time. And then I had too much time, not enough material. So, you know, it was a problem that I had to work on, but people knew it going in and, and you just build, you know, you have an opener that helps you write and, and take your stuff. But you know, it's a different time back then. So it was easier. You can go in the road and be more anonymous and build it up. Yeah. Did any of those guys you mentioned like Overton or Shoemaker, did they have any kind of advice or counsel for you as you were going through that? I mean, that was just always really loving, you know what I mean? Like Craig to this day, I mean, he was just one of the first people who wished me happy birthday. So it was Bob Saget, you know, they just, just turned 50 and those guys are still like, happy birthday, brother, man, you're the man. And just, they're so, they're always been so sweet to me. You know what I mean? Like they're just, empathetic souls, you know, and I haven't seen Rick in a while, but when I see him, it's always a hug. So I think they, I, I think I was lucky. I think that they liked me and I was, my agent put me with them and, and Bill Maher gave me a lot of stuff on, we would do a politically incorrect and then he would let me go on the road with him and open up for him in colleges. And again, that was my agent, you know, and she really pushed me for that. And those guys were always, they weren't like, this is how you're going to do it, kid. Go out there. They were just very encouraging. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? I mean, Bob Saget, like, take a private jet to a gig, you know, and he would let me sit in the other seat. I mean, that's a big deal, you know? And so I think that they, they, their actions speak volumes, and, uh, and I'm very fortunate, and they're icons, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's nice, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm very, but they weren't like, listen, this is how it's going to be, kid. They were, like, funny. Or here's a tag or, ooh, you know, rough set. They never even said rough set. They were like, hey, man, you know, keep going. They were always encouraging. <laughs> I, would, I remember I had some tough sets in front of them, and they were still cool about it. <laughs> That's comforting that they weren't, they weren't your earliest hecklers. No, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, I was watching Stupid Smart, which you put out on your birthday, um, and it struck me like how how willing, especially in the first half of it, you were you were willing to lean into like self-deprecation about yourself. You know, talking about like this is where your career is, and this is where your career is now. And uh, you you woke you woke me up to the Tremors franchise. I didn't know it was still going. See, so so you what, were you surprised about that? Yeah, you know, because I'm, you know, I remember the last time we talked was on the phone, and this was back when uh, you were promoting your movie Heckler, and you know, back then, you know, it's kind of more, you know, dealing with, you know, hecklers are the ones who are putting you down, but instead you're on stage and you're making fun of yourself uh, as kind of like a proactive. That's like a a humble pie, you know what yeah. I mean? Like you come out. My fans know me, my fans love me, but there's a lot of people that may not know what I'm up to or what I'm doing. So I kind of have baggage when I go on stage. So I feel like I got to get them on my side, remind them, I got remind them who I am, tell them what I've been up to, do it in a funny way. You can't go out there and be like, yo man, I'm in Tremors. You got to make it funny, you know? <laughs> and then, and then slowly get into your material and slowly work from there. But it's, 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 I think people will laugh more when you start making yourself the butt of the joke. So then they know if you're going to make fun of yourself, 
all bets are off. And it's a trick for me because when I do that, then they can't get butt hurt when I start going into them. <laughs> right. Although none of them have been in Bermuda tentacles. Uh, you never know, man. One of them could have been background. You never know. <laughs> Bermuda tentacles, highly underrated. It, it, uh, it, did that exist in the same universe as Sharknado? Or was that no. a different, different cinematic a, universe? This is a different cinematic universe. Definitely. <laughs> so no crossover. Did you watch it? No, you not yet. watch it. You gotta watch it. You look like a guy that might be into the, 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 that, those type of movies. <laughs> uh, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, always gotta remain teachable. Um, you know, you mentioned about people being in background. Wasn't that, wasn't that also like one of the ways that you got involved was, was realizing that being a background person is, is a way into show business? That's the only thing I knew, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have any grand master plan. I just wanted to be involved in it. And mm -hmm. I was able to learn about being an extra and I was like, this is the way to do it. Yeah. I think you gotta be in the mix. You gotta be in the mix. If you want to act, you gotta be on a set, you know, you know, if you want to be a movies, you gotta be on a movie set. You want to be on TV, you gotta be on TV. So you gotta just be in it. And hopefully you can be somewhere like doing background work or whatever. And if, you want to be a PA, get in that way, or assistant, you get in that way, however you want to do it. But if you want to do that, you got to be on the set. And, you know, that's why I love being an extra, because you were right in the mix of it. Who, were, were hmm, never mind. Uh, I was going to ask more. I was going to ask more about that, but I don't care. Um, uh, you know, I suppose I have to ask the obligatory uh, scream question, because they're bringing You don't that. have to, but you can, but you don't. You don't have to. I mean, I've, I've answered it enough. Yeah, I want to just tell this. Can I just do a PSA for everyone ever listening to your podcast? If sure. you're an interviewer, before you ask that question, if I'm going to be in Scream 5, people can Google things. I mean, it's, I don't understand. And then interviewers are like, well, I wanted to do it for my own. I mean, it's not going to really change, but I wish I could do a documentary on that. It's so interesting because people will ask that same thing but i mean i'm lucky that they ask i guess yeah no that's that's why it's that's why it's like it almost pains me to like bring it up but thank you but you never know if between the last time somebody asked and now whether if there's been, changed there's been a development like you know you there's put a, like you picked up on a tweet and you put the tweet out into the universe and then you never know like sometimes like what was that book the secret if you just kind of will True. Will it into existence? You know, okay. there could have been a groundswell. <laughs> you know, hashtag, you know what? hashtag bring Randy back. <laughs> you're, you're not making, you're not totally lying. Um, <laughs> there has not been any move. There hasn't been any, we haven't had, we hadn't had a movement yet. As I know, but you never know. If he came back, it would have to come back in a way that is sufficing to the hardcore horror people and the rules. But right, right now, I believe he's still going. Perhaps the more interesting question then is, you know, the last few years with the growth of the streaming platforms, a lot of old IP intellectual property content is being brought back and rebooted and relaunched and revived. And, you know, this is probably the first time that something that you've been involved in is being brought back. So, like, what does that feel like when, when you see something like that happening? I have a theory, you know, um, once they brought back one day at a time, all bets were off and we jumped the shark with content. 
And I think everything that was ever created will come back. I believe that. I believe there's unlimited bandwidth, unlimited data. Everyone's going to have multiverse within the multiverse, meaning that, you know, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's what pop culture consumes right now because that's with the ability to consume it to the platforms. But more and more platforms are coming. And by a kid who's 20 now, by the time he's 40, you'll be in other universes of stuff that you won't even know existed because you're so in that echo chambers of stuff. So I, if that makes sense to you, it's very simple. It, it's like yeah. you can consume so much content through Tubi, through Pluto, through Amazon Prime. You could all day, we're on our phones all day. I mean, these things are getting close to being in our brain. And so if you like something, there's an audience for it, you know? And like, that's why Scream is consumed so much because it is part of the pop culture lexicon, but that doesn't mean that Leprechaun isn't important either. And Leprechaun has its own super world, the people mm -hmm. that are fanatics for it. And if enough fanatics get together, you're gonna see stuff. So I think, I mean, one day at a time was off the air for 40 years. Who the hell thought, Let's bring that back. I'm not disrespecting it. I'm like, it, it, I watched that show, but it didn't have right. the impact of Full House. Full House makes sense. It, that made no sense to me, and it worked. So, you know, I think everything that can come back will. That's what I really do believe. Right. You just remind me, Candyman also came back. Although 100%. I can, although I'm not going to say his name that many times. So I don't wanna... No, you can't get in trouble. <laughs> If there was, if there was one, when does piece, he appear? Three times, three times. That one? Oh, five. Okay, yeah. Um, if there was one piece of, of of content that you'd made before that you'd want to bring back, what would it be? Is there anything back from your catalog that you would like to? I mean, I think, I think Jamie Kennedy experiment. People like that. Oh yeah. I think Malibu's. People wanted to see the next chapter. Be rest. Um, I think. Um, I think. I would start with those two, see where we go from there. Yeah, if they could bring back Punked for Quibi, anything yeah. is possible. Exactly. It um, is possible. Yeah. Do you, you know, we've mentioned some of these random, I mean, they're seemingly random. I know they're real things, Quibi and Pluto and Tubi. They're all real things in 2020. How, how, how important has it been for you to keep up with developments in technology? Is it, is it that's something? All, that's all I do. I'm constantly trying to be on the, on the forefront of what it is, you know, and, and sometimes you're too early, you know what I mean? And it, you don't have to be first. You just have to be the right timing, but you know, Pluto's definitely growing. It got bought by Viacom, which is legacy media. So it's new, new technology with legacy media's content. I think that's a good combination. I think Tubi was just purchased by Fox. It's also legacy media. So I think, I think that's a good mix of the library of these places along with the technology of these new places and along with making your own technology. Um, I think it's great. And I think there are no boundaries anymore. Like the business needed to bless you. And I still think it's, it's very important to get respect from your peers. But at the end of the day, people are going to consume what they want, when they want, where they want. And that's why today when I was like doing my radio tour and they literally were playing Donna Summer. I was waiting to go on to that. Donna Summer. Mm. Somewhere in like Albany, New York. Donna Summer. And I'm like, what are we doing? They're playing Donna Summer, which I love Donna Summer in like morning drive time radio. Who's driving 
to the job to push buttons into a fax machine listening to hot stuff. That's not the world we live in. And who's – it's just blew my mind. Think about that, bro. Yeah. Donna Summer, a 40-year-old song, as you're taking the roads in upstate New York to go to a job to push it into a fax machine. All those things don't add up. No, they I don't. I love Donna Summer, but it's like that's not – you know, you got to – People want to consume what they want whenever they want, and you can't tell them what they can consume. Damn, I had a rant, but it made sense. <laughs> and I'm glad that I could I could watch you do your rant over Zoom. I mean, yeah, it's I, weird. You guys really, all you guys really like, like let's intimate, let's get this face going. You guys love to get in there with these zooms now, and I'm like, you're going to use it, and they're like, no, it's just we want to see your face. This is like a new thing with the <laughs> pandemic. We're like, you know what? Everyone's getting a little more intimate, which I like. That's good. I get it. Well, Jamie, I will, I will let you go, but I want to thank you for being, being so intimate with me today. I really, <laughs> I really no, appreciate I pre- it. I appreciate it. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.